You are now turned into the dopest college radio station. UCM the beat. Keep it locked. U C M the beat. Welcome to Voices of UCM. I'm your host, Abram Tabor. Today we're joined by Nicholas Strotman. He's a history major here at the University of Central Missouri. Welcome to the show, Nicholas. Yeah, thank you, Abram. I wouldn't be here without your invitation. Oh, of course. Right on. Uh, now, Nicholas, uh, of course, you are a history major here at the University of Central Missouri, and so it just seems the first and most reasonable question to ask, how did you get interested in history? It's kind of a weird roundabout story. Well, um, feel free to tell it. It honestly probably started when I was a kid watching Star Wars stuff. I watched a lot of it. I watched the original movies, and I watched the um, the prequel series, and then I watched the Clone Wars a lot as a kid. And then when Disney bought Star Wars, that made me very sad, and I thought Star Wars is dead. So then I had to look for something that like appealed to that side of my brain that was like trying to like document and classify everything. And then I found actual history. I was like, wow. <laughs> And that's a very roundabout thing. And I didn't really make those connections until I was in uh, sixth grade world history class with this guy named Mr. DeMay. And um, he started all the way back at the very beginning of historiographical uh, Western civilization with um, the Mesopotamian civilizations of uh, Sumer, Babylon, and Assyria, Mm -hmm. going through that general situation. And I remember thinking something along the lines of, if this is the origin of civilization, and we have the things between then and now, then we can understand why things are the way they are today. Mm. And that thought blew my mind, and I thought, I've got to figure this out, because if this would figure it out, we could know what to do and why. Hmm. So you got interested in history, not just because of Star Wars, but also because you were interested in how sort of the story of the world developed and how it could inform us about how to take future actions? Yeah, and I don't think I would have gone that direction in my mind without seeing the story of the world of Star Wars unfolding that sort of process of the different times and places and the characters um, and folding the timeline to go from the Republic to the Empire and stuff like that. And I think that general like fascination with the timeline and seeing how things unfolded, how each minor detail had a massive rippling butterfly effect on the rest of the plot. I think without that fascination already like encouraged in my formative mind by Star Wars, I wouldn't have picked that up in the historical documentation that I was shown as a 10 or 11-year-old. Right on. So sort of the creative world building of Star Wars and in-depth world building that it is actually drew you in and interested you in world stories in such a way as what I'm hearing. Is that like this expansive story, you were looking for another one and you found real history. And I figure it's like, 
why not look into it? This is real. This actually happened. So you mentioned that you sort of got started in that class with um, the Mesopotamian region and those cultures, Sumer, Babylon, things like that, Scythia. Um, oh, we didn't cover the Scythians, really. They're more <laughs> of like a two-sentence footnote. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> they were uh, in what's now Ukraine. Mm, yeah, I know. I've played Civ Six. Well, I know so. you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, is that a particular like area of history you're interested in, or is there like some areas that you? I because my dad was actually a history teacher, and so I've sort of picked up that a lot of history buffs um, have a particular area of history that they really, really like to research and find out facts from. So, is there one of those for you? Yeah, I would definitely say that. I would say like Sumer and the Mesopotamian civilizations were the origin point that got me into the mentality, I would say, that I'm assuming through extrapolation um, of the broader historical like sort of mentality people have in general. Mm. Um, those civilizations got me to see that mentality by virtue of it being the origin point. But they didn't really, they they in and of themselves did not really like capture me or enchant me so to speak but it's still in the earlier days of civilization that got me um so like like greece rome that kind of era i never recovered after uh, they hit me <laughs> oh no <laughs> <laughs> so like like is there a particular time period of that or just interested in like the greco-roman period in general I would say yes to both things that you said. It started out as a particular area, and as I read more, it got more broad because I realized there was more there hmm. of the Greek um, and Roman timeline. I started out with like the early like classical era, going from like um, Dark Age Greece being like roughly the 800 BCs going like the age of the tyrants and then going closer to like what's stereotypically ancient Greece being around the height of classical Athens being right around 450 BC because that's like stereotypical like the image of what ancient Greece is mm. and then after reading a lot of that stuff and the Persian Wars like Persian Wars got me obsessed for a while mm. and of course you can't forget about the Spartan story at that time and then Alexander the Great you can't not Macedonian. You can't not get enchanted by him. But yes, he is definitely Macedonian, not Greek, no matter what the Greek government may say today for <laughs> their narrative building. But definitely it was Greek. Mm. But I won't go I mean not Greek, what the hell? I won't get into semantical details on that. And then reading on beyond that, you can't ignore the Roman connection. And then after reading about like the what the Romans had to say about themselves, it's hard to hold on to the idea of the myth that the Romans stole everything from the Greeks. Mm. Just like how the Greeks were the teachers and like the image that Rome built itself off on, like the Britain and the British Empire was the general model of society and way things run that America based itself on. A lot of the founding fathers looked to um, thinkers like John Locke from the from Britain for like inspiration for the way to organize politics and society mm -hmm. and for ethics and philosophy 
Mm-hmm. And uh, no American would say that we copied everything that the British did by any means. Oh, no. But I, sure. w- I would say that Greece was to Rome what Britain was for us. Hmm. In my, as I said, my dad was a history teacher, and I'm also somewhat interested in history. Uh, so I've done some research, and my favorite area is like around the Civil War, Revolutionary War well, times. I, I totally vibe with that. That's, that's my favorite <laughs> um, uh, place to research. So I'm familiar with this term of Enlightenment era knowledge and how that sort of was the Lockean ideas and Jefferson putting forward ideas that sort of founded how we were understanding things. It's a very scientific, yeah. logical-based system that we actually pulled from uh, Greece, I, Greek and Roman ideas, and yeah. that's why there's some very like basic Greek and Roman framework to how our government is structured and things like that. Right, because the Enlightenment era was... It- Definitely its own innovation, but also a return to the classics of Greece and Rome that were like rediscovered by the Renaissance and especially the uh, fall of Constantinople, where a lot of scholars brought um, the old Greek texts back from the from the capital of the civilization of the Greek peoples over to Italy and other Western countries. So, like another thing about the Enlightenment was that. Um, Besides, it's like very heavy take on science and reason and uh, being a return to the classics of Greece and Rome. During that return, like John Locke, um, he shouldn't be like the image of the Enlightenment since it's like way broader than that. But from our context and the British context, he was the Enlightenment guy for mm-hmm. our sort of like area, mm-hmm. geographically and culturally speaking. And, right. Um, John Locke was probably the most impactful thinker of the uh, Enlightenment for the what could be called like Anglo-Saxon quote-unquote mm. areas. And what really fascinates me the most about early America is how the uh, institutions of the Republic were inspired by the Roman Republic and were designed to try to perfect the system of the Roman Republic, which was the original Republic in the entire world. Mm-hmm. And um, the House of Representatives was like an analogy or a, not analogy, but like a, a close equivalent to the Tribune of the Plebeians, where there was like a council of tribunes of the lower class in Rome called the Plebeians, who had representation in the overall senate which which would be like the upper house there is like the tribunes or the patricians being the upper class people and the mm-hmm. tribunes of the plebeians which made up the senate the two houses of like that general like congressional uh, organization and there was something similar to the president he the office was the council there were two consuls elected yes. per year mm-hmm. and originally in the american republic the presidency was supposed to be like the consul system as well because um, the, t- the two candidates who were running, whoever won would become the president and the one who lost would become the vice president in a similar way how the two consuls running, um, whoever won had the first six months and like the second place guy had the second six months of the year. Hmm. It's, a very, it's very similar, not the same. It's, it'd be historically false to say it's the exact same by any means. Of course but 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 inspired by. Yeah, inspiration for sure. Mm -hmm. All right, well, we'll be right back with more Nicholas Strotman right after this here on UCM The Beat. 
Hey, this is Reba McIntyre, and I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about a serious problem right here in our own backyard. Did you know that there are nearly 16 million kids struggling with hunger in America? That's one out of every five precious children in this country who might not get to eat dinner tonight. But hope is just around the bend because there's enough healthy, nutritious food produced in this country to put a smile on the face of every last hungry kid. And that's when the Feeding America Nationwide Network of Food Banks steps into the picture. They collect surplus food, engaging their communities in solving hunger and giving hope to the hungry kids and their families. But they need your help. So join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank. Find out how you can help at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Voices of UCM. I'm your host, Abram Tabor. Today, we're joined by Nicholas Strotman. He's a history major here at the University of Central Missouri. So, Nicholas, we've been just talking about um, how uh, sort of Roman history and Roman ideas and Greek ideas, too, sort of inspired this Enlightenment period that sort of inspired how we approached American um, government systems and how you find that area of history of Greco-Roman especially interesting. So is that, would you say, um, where your main focus has been studying at college or has it been a bit broader than that? Unfortunately, it's not possible for me to focus that at UCM because it's simply not really having a significant presence in any way, shape, or form. Mm. Uh, there's not anything to do with the, um, directly, the things to do with our country and our people, and as such, it wouldn't make any sense for these dudes who did things 2,000 two to 2,500 years ago, halfway across the world, to have anything to do with the middle of Missouri. Mm. It's unfortunate, but also makes sense. Mm. Right on. So what sort of things have you been uh, studying with history here at UCM? Um, currently, this semester, I've been with uh, Dr. Taylor doing a president, uh, a class about President uh, Truman, which does make a lot more sense for the context of Missouri, considering he was the first and only president from the state of Missouri. And specifically, that class about Truman that he's doing this semester covers the president's uh, civil rights uh, influence. Mm. It's an influence on him and his aftermath afterward effects onto the civil rights movement mm. oh interesting so is that um have you found that um, bothersome that that's not really a focus or have you been just enjoying uh, bringing in more knowledge i would say it has been kind of bothersome but it's also been not bad looking at other stuff mm. i just feel sad sometimes that um we focus too much on things here without getting a broader context because mm. broader context would help us understand ourselves more to then get to what we can do in the future. Do you feel like that's sort of a current issue of how of there's that classic quote of uh, if you don't understand the past, you're doomed to repeat it. Is that do you see that playing out? Uh, I'd go with Mark Twain that like when he said that history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes and reasons. I would mm. say Mark Twain has got a more on the, I'm gonna avoid saying cliche takes. I'm just gonna say he's got a better take on it, in my opinion, because it won't be a complete repetition. It won't be exactly the same, mm. but a rhyming uh, repetition. 
like Star Wars, like you mentioned in the first right. segment about it's, how that inspired you. R- rhymes. Right. Um, <laughs> I kind of ironically, um, years later, after I got into history, I remember by chance finding a uh, interview about George Lucas on Soul Wars, thanks to the YouTube algorithm that influenced all <laughs> of us and made us who we are. Um, that George Lucas said he actually had a lot of inspiration by classical Greek and Roman literature and history and mythology that led him to come up with his organization and design of Star Wars itself. Hmm. That's interesting. It is. (laughs) It blew my mind. (laughs) So interesting then that obviously your interest in Star Wars inspired an interest in those things when an interest in those things sort of inspired Star Wars. It's like a weird circle. Hmm. Kind of pretty one, though. Yeah. Hmm. So I wanted to ask a little bit more about your experience specifically here at UCM um, as a history major. Um, Obviously, uh, that's not one of the – when I'm thinking of UCM, I think of our our nursing major. I think of our communication major because we've got Dale Carnegie um, who came from here. Uh, I think of our aviation major. Um, But history major isn't usually one of the things that comes to mind when I think of UCM. It's definitely not the face of UCM. So why UCM for a history major? Um, For my context, it was more out of necessity Mm. because – I didn't feel like spending all of my time in my senior year of high school busting my butt off to apply for a million scholarships that I wouldn't wasn't guaranteed to get. Mm. So I didn't really try very hard on them, and I didn't get any scholarships really at all besides like the Pell Grant and like the uh, Red and Black scholarship, mm-hmm. those basic ones that basically everybody gets who goes here. Mm. Some form of, yeah. Yeah, in some way, shape, or form. And since I live within commuting distance, I figured it'd be way cheaper to just spend the gas money to drive to campus every day from uh, Higginsville, where I live, which is just a straight shot north on 13. Mm -hmm. It's on the same exit as Warrensburg. It's just the opposite side of it. (laughs) Right on. So it's fairly close by. Yeah. Um, Now, I have heard this from students who commute a lot, uh, and it's that... um, even living, so this semester, this last year, I've been actually living nearby campus, but off campus is apartments called the Annex. They're sort of behind the library. Um, and I, I feel this a little bit less than the average person, but I've felt that this um, slight more disconnect from the community because you're not like physically there and not as physically present in some ways, you know, as when you're living on dorm. Do you feel like commuting has affected your community here at the UCM? I would say in summary, I basically don't have one. Oh. Because 30 minutes away means like organizing your whole day doesn't really leave much room for um, spontaneity. Mm. And it's pretty unfortunate because I can summarize my college life as going to school, doing classes, Potentially spending a few hours on campus and then going home. And the serendipitous encounter type things or like people randomly thinking like, hey, let's get together. It's sometime in the evening when I'm already back. Mm. And by the nature of that, I'm not really a part of a whole lot. Mm. 
I mean, that, that makes sense. I mean, you do have to travel home and stuff like that. Yeah. Have you found that, like, have you built any sort of community system at home or friendships here that have helped you keep involved in some way? Because I do note that um, of a lot of the commuting students I've seen, you do stick around a couple hours usually and yeah, try I, and invest to some degree. When I can. Hmm. And um, there's people I can feel like I relate to, but, like, my interests are, like, so niche it's really hard to find people who relate to to like really feel like you can have a community with like sure anyone can be a community but there's a difference of being with people and being with quote unquote your people mm. and i don't know if there's really that for everybody anywhere not, not throwing any shade at ucm it's just a part of the human condition it's not mm. ucm's fault <laughs> it's being human right but the closest to that, I would say, is like how I met you is the, the Navigators. Mm-hmm. Um, the Navigators is basically a non-denominational ministry, but I'm not part of staff. I just talk to people because I'm a philosophy nerd and they let me be a geek <laughs> with them, even though I don't go to church. So like, Fair they enough. don't hate me for that. I'm sorry to hear that you've had some trouble engaging because of uh, a physical distance. And, you know, that does happen. As I said, I've been just, like, a few blocks away from the university myself this semester, and that has changed how involved I am. You know, I'm not as physically immediately present. You know, it extends walk times. It ex- it means that there's not people walking randomly into my dorm. You know, those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, I, but I, I, you know, I've at least had some of those experiences with yeah. UCM. Do you feel like you've missed out on some of the college experience, or do you just have a unique college experience in that way? I wouldn't say unique. Mm. I could barely call it an experience. Oh. <laughs> it's not really any different than going to high school. You just go to school, do your things, and go home. Like, mm. that's my experience is not much of experience, but there's definitely an experience to be had. Mm that's a lot of like my mistake of not spending the past three years going out and trying to make that experience happen because it definitely was uh, to do with choices on my part has less to do with the circumstances and more with me dealing with those cards I was dealt I've just been taking those cards and throwing the discard pile I haven't really been trying too hard so I shouldn't throw shade at anybody except myself it's my fault I haven't had much of a community or much of an experience I haven't made in a community or an experience Mm. Do you feel like that's something that students often miss out on, is like the initiative step of engagement? I couldn't give a definitive statement on that. Mm. Because of my lack of overall engagement in the general community, I know not enough of it in order to make an extrapolation on it in general. Spoken like a true historian. (laughs) (laughs) But if I were a individual case study, I would have to say yes, but my only um, pool for study is me that's not enough for a uh honest like assessment mm, right on well we'll be right back with more of nicholas Strotman right here on ucm the beat stay tuned did you know that when you shop at a local business you can create jobs stimulate the local economy and reduce your carbon footprint 90 percent of net new jobs are created by small businesses which makes them the largest employer nationally And for every $100 spent at a local shop, 68 of those come back into the community because small businesses buy from more small businesses. Because of this, habitat loss and pollution caused by transportation has decreased by 26%. To learn more about the benefits of supporting small businesses in your community, visit one in your area today. This message brought to you by your friends in UCM Digital Media Production. 
Welcome back to Voices of UCM. Today I'm joined by Nicholas Strotman. He's a history major here at the University of Central Missouri. So, Nicholas, we've been talking a little bit about, well, we talked a lot about history, obviously, and um, especially the Greco-Roman period, which you're especially interested in. But then we also talked about your specific UCM experience and how uh, your community has definitely been, like, restricted by you commuting in. However, that does, hasn't stopped you from being involved with a, at least a couple things on campus. Um, specifically, uh, I heard that you participated in the Model UN last year. How was that? What was that like? It was a uh, very big experience. It was a like a campaign, really. Not like a political campaign, but a campaign in like the sense of the planning you have to do and the deliberation about it. Mm. The class was led by Dr. Darlene Budd in the political science department. And she was very easy to get along with, like really nice. Um, always came to class in a sort of peppy attitude. Not peppy, <laughs> but like easygoing. Like, mm. I've never heard, I never heard anyone in that class say anything bad about her. Everyone basically said, we love Dr. Budd. She's great <laughs> in a nutshell. That's always great to have a nice professor like that. Yeah, she made it really uh, easy to get along with and work with but generally how the model UN sort of situation works is that it was over 50 colleges in the general Midwestern area mm. uh, participate together in a big conference the 2022 conference was in Chicago oh wow the and obviously we were one of the schools that participated there and each of the schools is each of the schools represents a delegation of one of the countries that's in the real United Nations. And some of the bigger colleges um, have multiple delegations. They just break out their classes into um, multiple delegations. Mm. Um, we were representing the Republic of Korea, which is not to be confused with the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. We were in it, or in layman speak, we are in the Southern half of the country we're got south it. korea not north korea got it got it but in that political um diplomatic lingo setting we had to always say the republic of korea or the democratic people's republic of korea like the uh colloquial terms for it didn't float because we had to fit that formal jargon and mm -hmm. that was really fun and that definitely tailored to the historical side of me because all of the old historical stuff did not go like colloquial jargon at all that always went full formal speak like right to the emperor dot 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 mm -hmm. or like your holy majesty dot 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 if you're like reading about <laughs> spanish stuff but yeah yeah so was that like um did you end up having to do like a lot of research about old history in korea and stuff to inspire your work or we how does that work didn't really get too far back we um went to the korean war and I did a little presentation about the Korean War in uh, in that class to get some background uh, mm. politically and internationally because that would be the biggest um, relevant starting point for our class being representing the Republic of Korea. And um, right. Dr. Bud asked me to do that since I'm a nerd. <laughs> and I said, okay, why not? Fair enough. And after we got our background of researching the general modern history of the Koreas, and um, getting general context about where Korea stands in the geopolitical stage of the world today. We were then basically 
divide it up and then we as a class chose our own countries to uh, practice the general situation as mm-hmm. and we so we did our mini conferences to prepare for the big conference and our mini conferences um, basically helped Dr. Bud and her assistant um, Lindsay to choose and assign for each of us what part of the model UN conference mm. we would do. So like figured out what you were good at. Right. Mm. Because it was broken down into um, um, different sections, uh, different committees mm. that were responsible for different things. Um, there is obviously the Security Council, but the Republic of Korea was not on that. So we are not. Mm. We did not have a delegation for that. There's the first and second committee, the third committee, and there are a couple like um, other committees that were more like um, specialized smaller things um, we had um, one person in our class her name is Emily from Sweden and um, she was doing an ECOSOC section on um, international like aviation law since she actually herself had worked in European Airlines for several years before coming to UCM she has an interesting story mm. um, that I hardly know any of but <laughs> that's neither here nor there <laughs> It was pretty cool, but unfortunately, we weren't able to step into the perspective of our country as much as I would, I would have liked to, mm. because our topic wasn't a like the topic of my delegation in the in the second committee. Mm-hmm. It was about um, illicit financial flows, like monetary fraud mm. and um, uh, equality and like rights for women, that stuff, and. Mm it'd be pretty difficult to have a very solid stance on that from that from the Republic of Korea's perspective, um, especially since there's been a lot of turmoil about uh, women's rights and um, issues like that in the country in recent years. Hmm. And it's very back, it's been very back and forth. So it's kind of difficult to get into that country specific thing. And we had to um, focus more on what to do to negotiate with other countries about other delegations about um, working on resolutions for those areas. Hmm. Right on. Well, that's still very interesting that you still had to look at that political landscape and say, well, this is something that we actually can't take a strong stance on because we don't have one. And or Or it would be disadvantageous for us to take a strong stance on because it would paint an image of like um, it, w- it would paint the incorrect image. Right, not the one we were wanting to mm-hmm. go for. You mentioned that you were part of this second committee uh, and that you all had sort of individual roles to play. What was your, what did yours look like? Um, so on the second committee of the um, General Assembly of the United Nations, I was partnered by the by Dr. Bud with uh, Bonnie Ray. She's a uh, political science major, mm-hmm. and one of her big aspirations is to hopefully get to work with as an ambassador for the United States. So we'll see how that pans out. I hope it works out for her. Mm-hmm. Um, she was really great to work with. Um, we were able to uh, pull our minds together. We kind of thought of things in a very interesting way. We have we would come to the same conclusions about things to do but mm-hmm. process it in completely the opposite ways. Hmm. One time we were trying to figure out when a good time would be to speak and like why are we not to speak about a certain thing. She wanted to be more respectful to everybody by writing things on paper out and I wanted to just speak to be more direct and have it um, 
more difficult for there to be a misunderstanding. But eventually we got that worked out. But while we were still writing things on paper, it was pretty confusing. Because hmm. I know at least on my end, I would try to jump to conclusions before she would finish writing her sentence. And since some of the things we had to do were time sensitive, it got frustrating sometimes to try to like come to a consensus quickly. Because mm. when you have to, when you're wanting to like move to speak, you have to compete with all these other people to have a chance of getting up to do your thing. Mm. But the way she wrote out an idea of when to speak, I wrote out like basically the exact same conclusion, but from the perspective of going from for the small details where she was writing it from the perspective of the broader picture mm. but the conclusion of the formulas in her minds was the same but mm. the formula was completely different which made it look like we were having a big disagreement argument but we were agreeing with each other without knowing it <laughs> but after realizing that which it was pretty funny and then we got up to speak and did a really cool speech nice yeah that was really fun to do it was really cool standing in front of like 300 people and do a speech and just have like so many sets of eyes on you just like listening mm. we're just about at the end of the show nick and there's always something um that i ask people at the very end of the show uh, and it's is there anything else you'd like to share now with the last couple minutes of our airtime something i've been really bad about is just opening my heart and opening my mind to just talk to people mm. and i feel like just remembering that people are people and being a person alongside other people would do a lot to reach through the walls that we all have subconsciously or consciously in our minds and in our hearts that is holding us back as not just being a community on paper but really being an active community mm. and things going on today at the union like the what was it called um the uh, halfway hotcakes not that not, not that. <laughs> the thing that was going on this morning where there were like the polls and you'd put in like the identity oh, yeah, stuff the, the unity polls. Y the unity yeah. poll yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a really cool example of like trying to be more conscious of that and i think that's a really cool thing to try to remember to always not confine our thoughts and approaches to people based on the role that they either actively have or the role that we perceive them having. Like a professor is not just a professor or a history nerds. Mm -hmm. Well, literally a history nerd, but like... We're not just one thing. Yeah, we're not just one thing. There's more of us, even though we think of more on like one thing. Right on. Well, thank you so much for sharing and uh, for spending time with us today, Nicholas. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. All right. This has been Voices of UCM. You can tune in on Wednesdays and Saturdays at 7 p.m. to hear our show right here on UCM The Beat or UCMBeat.com. Did you know that the University of Central Missouri has been leading innovation for nearly 150 years? With more accreditations and more qualified faculty members, our commitment to academic success is unparalleled. And we make sure every student receives the support they need to graduate on time and with less debt. So whatever opportunity you're looking for, make your impact sooner at UCM. With campuses located in Warrensburg, Lee Summit, and online. 
Find out more about UCM and the power of opportunity in action at ucmo.edu.